This holiday season, please consider supporting the Cato Institute and specifically the Cato Daily Podcast. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor to get started. If you support Cato with a donation of $1,000 or more, I'll gladly give you a shout-out on the podcast, or you can designate someone else to receive that benefit and all of the benefits of being a Cato sponsor. That website again, cato.org slash podcast sponsor, and thank you for your generosity. This is a Cato Special Podcast. I'm Caleb Brown. President Trump has ordered a withdrawal of U.S. troops from Syria, a military presence that was never authorized by Congress and has put the U.S. in the uncomfortable position of allying itself with some fairly unsavory groups. Cato's John Glazer and Chris Preble explain why getting out of Syria is the right move. Give me the quick picture of how the United States became embroiled in this uh, multi-sided uh Syria conflict? Well, it depends on how far back you want to go. Um, we'll say 2010, 2011. Yeah, how about I mean, that? so the the most recent uh, violence in Syria goes back to the uh, uprising, one of the several Arab uprisings in 2011, uh, the one in Syria uh, against uh, Bashar Assad's government was quickly sort of augmented within a few years by the Islamic State, which of course originated in Iraq, but then made use of the porous border between Iraq and Syria to grow and organize. And uh, it really was a sort of transnational in the sense that it was clearly you know, crossing both Iraq and Syria. Um, and I think various stages of US involvement reflect initially, it was, it was initially driven by concerns about uh, Bashar Assad's government, him staying in power. And so the early uh, moves were against his, against that. And then also in response to um, uh, Assad's use of chemical weapons against some of the um, uh, resistance fighters inside of Syria. And then more recently, it has been focused on the Islamic State. The problem uh, among several is that these various groups uh, and factions within groups um, are um, frequently sort of shifting their allegiances and it's often difficult to tell who exactly uh, is sort of w what their primary objectives are at any one time. And so I think that partly explains why U.S. policy all along has been so chaotic and, and disconnected from, uh, from reality on the ground. And to you, uh, John Glazer, it's worth noting that the involvement of the United States, either with troops or bombing campaigns or anything, none of that was approved by Congress. President Barack Obama asserted all the while he had the authority to do this without Congress and as a kind gesture uh, to separation of powers, he was going to actually request congressional authorization. Yeah, there's some speculation that he, the Obama administration decided to pass the buck to Congress because they were relatively confident that Congress would not uh, uh, acquiesce in uh, their request to continue a, a, a war in Syria. Um, Obama was deeply reluctant to get involved. Nevertheless, the bombing campaign against ISIS was uh, heavy in Syria and uh, somewhat early on, it was complemented by a small force of several hundred special operations forces to coordinate with 
local militias on the ground, particularly Kurdish forces in the Northeast who were battling ISIS. Um, and so that gradually grew from a few hundred to several thousand. The official number to this day is about 2,000, but uh, a defense official accidentally in, an, in a press conference revealed that it was closer to four or five 5,000. So that is a massive presence and a massive bombing campaign without congressional authorization, without a uh, direct threat to the United States. So it's not an Article II power. It's also illegal under international law. If you don't have the host government permission or a UN Security Council approval, you can't just intervene and occupy another country. So it has no legal authorization, um, along with having really problematic strategic issues. So why is President Trump taking this action now? It's my understanding that like a lot of uh, policies that the president has pushed, there has been a lot of pushback within his administration on withdrawing from Syria. Presumably, this is something that he's wanted to do for some time. Why now? What is the uh, general uh, purpose for withdrawing? So I'll just say that there's a lot of speculation about what triggered this sort of unexpected announcement and very little of it has is evidence-based. So no one really knows what prompted Trump to make this unexpected announcement. There is some information that he had a phone call with uh, Turkish President uh, Erdogan sometime before this decision. Uh, and there's some speculation about what the contents of that conversation was. No one really knows. Um, it's also true, though, that in the past several weeks, reporting about the U.S. presence in Syria has kind of ramped up. And who knows? Maybe Trump got frustrated during his quote-unquote executive time, which is really just him watching cable TV. Uh, and uh, you know he saw this as contrary to his America First principles. And for a long time, he'd been saying, I don't really approve of our presence there. It's time for us to withdraw. And he got severe and steady pushback from National Security Advisor John Bolton, who just in September said, we'll be there until the Islamic State is, is completely extinguished and, to, and until Iranian forces withdraw. Uh, Mattis has been saying the same thing, Pompeo the same thing. So this was really, he went over the heads of his entire executive branch without consulting with them in order to make this announcement. Two quick points on that. So on the Erdogan point, uh, the Turkish uh, government, Erdogan in particular, has been most animated about this campaign for a number of years, the presence of Kurdish forces uh, who are effectively being uh, armed by U.S. military personnel, which the Turks see and Erdogan in particular sees as a, as a direct threat to his government. So this has always been a point of tension between the United States and, and Turkey. So that's why that conversation may have been, although John's right, it's just speculative, but that's why that conversation may have been critical. Uh, the other reporting that I've seen is that, as I recall, the president made a seemingly offhanded remark uh, back in April at, a, at a, um, a rally that the United States would be removing forces from Syria. Um, there was immediate pushback from his national security team, including Bolton and Mattis. Um, uh, and I think what I've read is that – so this was in April and he said basically, you know, I, I want to get out. You guys want me to stay. You have six months to solve it. Well, it's been eight months since he made that uh, utterance. Uh, and so um, th that may explain ultimately that his patience just wore out, that he had, had made a commitment, uh, he believed it was the right one and that he was tired of being um, – really defied uh, by his uh, senior national security officials. And so he, he, he 
made the decision, and and uh, now it's up to them to execute it. Is there uh, any opportunity here to rein in presidential war powers? Because I imagine if you know the president himself is able to withdraw from a non-congressionally authorized uh, war. Uh, that uh, we should note put the United States on the sides of some pretty bad people uh, at various points in in the U.S. involvement in the conflict. Is there an opportunity in Congress for to find some common ground to say, look, we all agree that the president can't just do this, and maybe this president may be unique in being able to say, yeah, I don't really want that power. I think um, my my thoughts on this are twofold. First of all. It seems really absurd to me that those who said we do not need congressional authorization to approve the use of force are suddenly animated by the president's decision to stop using force or at least stop leaving forces in place. The, anyone making that argument is just – I just I, – I can't take them seriously. It's absurd. There is a broader point, however, about um, – the co-equal branches of government and the involvement, the the founders' clear intention that that Congress always be involved in foreign policy decisions, at least involved, if not really having the 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 lion's share of the of the responsibility for it. And and I, I'm recalling um, a debate, you know, the earliest days of the Republic between uh, James Madison and Alexander Hamilton and. The particular um, dispute was over neutrality, over whether the United States would be neutral in the war between England and France. Um, and Madison here again affirmed that that the principle uh, under the Constitution was that Congress determined whether or not the United States was in a state of war, not the President of the United States. It was not a decision that was to be left to a single person. Uh, and so whether the decision is for war or against it, it does seem that uh, it is useful that um, more people be involved in this discussion. And, and again, critically, it's the American people have to have some say, it seems to me, in these uh, critical decisions. You know, it's also worth kind of reminding ourselves of the political context that's happening right now. So the Democrats just won a big victory in the House of Representatives, uh, largely on a platform of checking the president's powers, not just in the realm of war, but in others. Um, also, very recently, the Senate made history by voting pretty overwhelmingly uh, to uh, invoke the War Powers Resolution to stop the president from uh, it being involved in the Saudi war in Yemen. Uh, that is the first time since the War Powers Resolution was passed in 73 that that has happened. So that's historic. And this is just coming off on the heels of that. Um, and so... You know there are some members of Congress that are making the point that you uh, that you reference, Caleb, by saying, "Look, this was not an authorized war. It's good that we're pulling out." Um, but others are still buying into the false uh, and totally erroneous, I think, claim that uh, our operations against ISIS are authorized by the 2001 or 2002 AUMF. I think it would be wise in this new spirit of checking presidential war powers to um, repeal and not replace the AUMF. If the president sees a threat that he thinks requires US military force, he needs to go to Congress, get explicit authorization for that, and then pursue uh, the, the, the mission, not the other way around. 
Chris Preble is Cato's Vice President of Defense and Foreign Policy Studies. John Glazer is Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. 2018 is almost over, and I'd like to ask you to consider supporting the Cato Podcast and the broad mission of the Cato Institute by joining our Cato Podcast Sponsor Program. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor and learn more of the benefits of sponsorship. That's cato.org slash podcast sponsor.